1 Corinthians, the very first chapter and beginning at the very first verse. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, So let's pray as we come to consider this part of God's word. Loving Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, you tell us that it's active and alive. Uh, Lord, that when it goes out, it doesn't return to you until it's achieved what you want it to do. So Lord, we invite you by your spirit working in our hearts and by your powerful word that's in front of us, Lord, as I I share it and proclaim it to us, Lord, we invite you to, to let it be active and let it be alive in our hearts and lives, Lord, that we might be people that are growing into the likeness of our glorious Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Just think for a moment about what you would consider a jaw-dropping moment. A jaw-dropping moment. Now, I don't mean something that's kind of just breathtaking. That's different, isn't it? You walk out on a headland on a beautiful, clear morning. That's breathtaking. But something that's jaw-dropping is just something that kind of, kind of, you don't know whether to be shocked or overly excited it's the f- massive fish that was on the end of your line as you pulled it in, hey, Matt? Or maybe if you've been like us, we've been watching a little bit of Ninja Warrior because that's the time of year that they put that on TV and they just do these incredible things and you're just like, how on earth has somebody's physical body capable of lunging from this thing to that thing and holding on by a fingernail? It's jaw-dropping. You might have felt that after State of Origin Game 1 if that's your thing a pretty jaw-dropping scoreline. Our little boy Astro turned one just a week ago and we had some visitors come and stay with us who also have a a one-year-old and she taught him her cheeky secrets of climbing on things. And so now we've been having these jaw-dropping moments around our house where we'll just be going about our our business and then all of a sudden we look across and Astro's climbed up one of the toddler chairs up onto the kitchen table and is kind of wandering around going, hey, look at me, everyone. It's kind of like, ah! Or he's done the same on the trampoline. And the time that he got up on our roof, that was just, no, that's, that hasn't happened yet. I'm just joking. 
I think the letter of 1 Corinthians is full of jaw-dropping moments. And they come to us in two ways. But you've kind of got to have the patience with it to understand it, to hear it, and to see it. The first way that you have jaw-dropping moments in this letter is just when you consider and see how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That can be hard for us when we're very familiar with it, but the way that Paul writes about it here is truly like that. But the other thing that we'll see in this letter is the Christians in Corinth were incredibly worldly still. They were incredibly Corinthian still instead of Christian in how they behaved. And some of the things you read can be quite jaw-dropping. So we're going to just start just with this very start bit that's going to set the tone for us over the time as we look at this. This morning we're just thinking about who's this letter from and making sure we've got that clear. Who it's to, seeing that we've got that clear. Listen to Paul on who he says these people are really. And then also think about how that reality isn't quite matching the reality of how they're living and behaving. Before we start to ask some of those questions about ourselves and our mission and who we are. So first of all, just right there in the very first verse, uh, letters in our Bible are the reverse to the way that we write letters. They're not signed off at the end, they're signed off at the beginning, and so it begins, Paul. And what Paul wants to remind the Corinthians about himself in this particular letter is that he is Paul who was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And what he's appealing there in that word apostle is he's appealing to the authority that he's been given in what's happened to him in his conversion, but also in the way that Jesus, when he taught Paul and revealed to him who he truly was, the way that he sent Paul with his special mission to reach non-Jewish people, to reach the Gentile people. And we learn about uh, how Paul interacted with these people in the the city of Corinth back in Acts chapter 18. Now, I'm not going to fill you in on a whole heap of info in Corinth, but there's a lot in our Bible study material that will help us to get a good picture of just what this Greek city was like. But looking back in Acts, we can see how Paul interacted with this. So let me just give us a few verses from, this is back in Acts chapter 18. It tells us in Acts 18 chapter 1 that they've gone to Corinth, so that's where they are, and it tells us here, in Corinth, Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was there devoted exclusively to preaching, to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And then it says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive... He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And this is the cool part. He literally goes next door. Paul leaves the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, who was a worshipper of God. And it tells us there that Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul, believed and were baptised. 
Just in those few verses, that's the birth of this church that we're reading about, that Paul's writing to. That's where they began. That's their origin story. Paul had that pattern of teaching. He would go to the Jews, and once he'd exhausted his opportunity with them, he would then go to the non-Jewish people. And he was gifted and equipped for doing that. And like we can see, he had great success with them. Down in ver- or following on from this, I'll just get, share a couple more verses that it tells us in Acts 18, 9. It says, One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, and he said, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So we see not just that Paul was there at the birth of this church, but he was really heavily involved in the establishment of this church. And it's quite a confirmation that God had him there, equipping him for what he was doing there. And what he was doing, let's be clear, he was calling people to be followers of Jesus, to come into his kingdom. Isn't it interesting that God says to Paul, I have many people in this city. And he's not sounding there like the mob boss or the mafia saying, I've got many people in this. I can't do that voice. But he's not saying that. He's saying that there's many people here that will come to faith in me. I know who I'm saving. And the cool thing, when we jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we actually learn about one of these people. Paul's written there, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. I think that's how you say it. I I couldn't call him up and check. But he's not there as an author with Paul. He's actually mentioned back in Acts chapter 18, verse 17 as well. Back in Acts 18, 17, he he was a synagogue leader, and the crowd turned on Sosthenes and beat him up in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. He's a guy that initially opposed Paul. But one of the cool things we're seeing as we read this is that this guy, Sosthenes, somewhere in the mix, we don't have any of the detail, but the first account of him over here is someone opposing Paul. The next account is he's here with Paul. Not as a co-author, but definitely as a co-conspirator in what Paul's doing. And just when you think about Paul's own story and the way that he opposed Jesus and then was radically transformed, you can imagine the same kind of jaw-dropping transformation in this guy's life. And just even in that one little verse, that one little verse, this is a hint as to where this letter takes us. Because this letter is powerful in the way that it presents the gospel, and it powerfully should be reminding us just to break down our ideas of what the gospel can do, about who the gospel can reach, about the impact that it can have in people's lives when they hear it clearly, when we share it clearly, when we share it boldly, when we are faithful in taking it to them. So there we go. That's who the letter's from, Paul and kind of Sosthenes. But who's the letter to? Well, it's this church in Corinth is the first thing that Paul writes, to the church in Corinth. But also it says, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere 
who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this is written to the Corinthians, but this is a really cool part as well, where Paul makes it clear that this is not just confined to the Corinthians and their situation. And as Paul starts to, he's going to tackle a whole bunch of things going on in this church. But as we listen to it, you can actually learn from it and see the way that you take this truth of the gospel and you take a situation and you do make the application. You, you go from seeing what's going on here and how the gospel speaks into that and wisely and properly apply it. So that's what it says, to believers everywhere. Now look at what Paul believes about believers, those in Corinth and believers everywhere. He says, those who are sanctified, sanctified. That's a word that kind of means being made a saint or being made like Jesus. Now we understand that when he's saying this, sanctification or being sanctified is something that happens after we've been saved. We don't get made perfect and then at some point when we're done, that's when God saves us. It's actually the reverse. Having been saved, we begin to be sanctified. A very easy way to think about it is what the Bible tells us about being made into the likeness of Jesus. Being made into the people that we were created to be. Not only that, he says that we're set apart. or Often we use that word holy. We actually are put aside for a specific purpose. And the other thing that he says in those verses is that they are, will call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And he just reminds them that people who are followers of Jesus are dependent on Jesus. Always, in every situation, dependent. So just think about that for yourself. Who are you in Christ? You are someone being sanctified. You are someone who's been set apart in the world, but not to just carry on being like any other person in the world. Set apart for God's purposes. And you are someone who is dependent on Jesus for everything. Paul carries on this in a big way in verses 4 to 9 talking really deeply about who they are in Christ. In verse 4, he talks about that this all is formed from the grace that is given in Jesus. The grace given in Jesus is actually always everything. It's not just the thing that starts a Christian off and then you don't need it anymore. Grace is what we need in every moment of living for Jesus. There's never anything more to the Christian life than the grace that saves us. There's just going deeper into that. The way that I like to think of it is, the day that I got married, okay, was like 14-something years ago, but I'm not more married today than I am back then. But I'm far deeper in that marriage than on that very first day. And the thing that made me married was making those vows. Well, at whatever point you were saved by God, whether you were brought up into it or at a point of conversion, it was all by his grace. And that grace that brought you is the grace that sustains you. So verse 4, he talks about, I thank God for the grace given to you 
in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, in it you have been enriched in every way, in speech and in knowledge. And that's going to be really important in a moment when we see what's going on in Corinth. Verse 6, he tells them that it's the gospel. God confirms his testimony of Christ among them. The gospel in all its simplicity and all its glory is evident in these people because they're all about these kind of things. Read the rest of the letter. You see that the Corinthians want to know about wise speech, about spiritual gifts, things like that. The Corinthian church, they're not, they're not godless. They've been all about these things. Now, when you go into it, they're in a big muddle about these things, but they're all about these things. And so in verse 7, Paul says that they lack no spiritual gift. They lack no spiritual gift. Why? Because that's what comes by the grace of God in the gospel. And so here's the really important thing about who these Corinthians are. They're a church where this reality of what happens by and in Christ isn't matching the reality of what's going on in this church in this city. That is to say, the reality of what Jesus does isn't matching the reality of how they're living. Now, we're just going to do six verses that come throughout the letter just to illustrate this. And you've got to brace yourself for these. First one is in, straight after this in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It tells us about how divided they are. See, the unity that should come through Jesus, sadly, it's missing for these people. In chapter 4, verse 18, Paul writes of their arrogance. Instead of humility, they've been built up in arrogance. The humility that should be coming from the gospel is missing for these people. In chapters 5, 3 to 7, but it's illustrated in chapter 5, verse 1, it's coming through in their sexual immorality. And if you read that verse, it's jaw-dropping. Their ethics in the bedroom hasn't been transformed by the reality of Jesus and is even worse than the Corinthians around them. Chapter 6, verse 6 to 7 talks about how this church is in conflict with each other. And actually to sort it out, they're not dealing with it internally, they're appealing to law courts. Chapter 11, verse 20 and 21, talks about how they're drunks and indulgers. And even they're like that as they're meant to be having the Lord's Supper. They're getting drunk on the communion wine. It's a pretty sad picture. The last thing that illustrates this, by no means the last, but the last that I'm going to share, in chapter 15, verse 34, we read this. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. That's pretty much what rock bottom is. What kind of Christian can lead a life that ignores God? This highlights package of what's going on in this church is jaw-dropping, but it doesn't even paint the extent. You read the whole letter slowly for yourself and you will see that it's relentless, that it doesn't let up. Now just with all that in mind, think about what Paul's already said to these people. 
he calls them sanctified back in verse 2. These are the sanctified people of God, but it doesn't look or sound like it at all. Why is Paul even bothering with these people? Well, the answer, I hope, is obvious to you. He's bothering with them because the gospel is true. Because the news of Jesus is true. Because they have believed the gospel. And because they have believed it, this disconnect between how they're living and what it teaches has to be addressed. And he's writing to them because he knows the power of this gospel, this power of this gospel to transform, to truly sanctify. Have a look at verse 8 with me. He says of what God will do in the Lord Jesus, he will also keep you firm to the end that you might be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's confident of the power of this gospel. He's not confident of the Corinthians. He's not just telling them to pull up their bootstraps and get on with it. But no, he's confident of the grace of God, and that's what he's appealing to. This grace that keeps you firm to the end. See, verses 4 to 6 that we've already been through, they make a lot more sense in light of this. He's telling them that they've been enriched because they've got completely confused what it means to truly have the riches of Christ. They're looking for riches in a whole bunch of other things. In, verse, in about chapters 2 to 3, they argue about their different leaders that they've had in church and how well they speak and how, how much they're like the Greek philosophers of the time. They're these, you know, really... Uh, pin-up boy eloquent speakers to the church. Or later on he talks about all the confusion they've got over the gift of speaking in tongues and people being amazing prayers and amazing prophesies in the church. But when he says there, he reminds them that they've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with knowledge. He's not talking about what they're actually doing. He's talking about what comes in the gospel. Just remember what God told Paul in that Corinthian city. I've got many people here. I will keep up with these people is what God told Paul. All his confidence, all his confidence is not on the potential of these people, but it's on the power of the gospel. You know, the same is true for us in any attempt we make at reaching people. God gifts us, God invites us, God uses us, equips us, uses our experiences, all of those things, but the power that we have to reach anyone with the hope of Jesus is the message of Jesus. It's contained in that. And if we appeal to anything else, if we're reluctant to do anything because we think we've got, not got the right mix of people or we're lacking boldness or confidence or anything like that, we're forgetting where the power actually is. And we can never afford to do that. And it's hard. Because like it was for the Corinthian church, the pull 
to be something other than Christian first is always going to be apparent to us. These guys were incredibly worldly. And the call for us, to, or the, the pull on our lives to just go with the flow of whatever else is going on is going to remain strong. We're in a period of Australian history where all kinds of things want to be redefined. What, what marriage looks like. What a boy or a girl is. They're, they're the bleeding obvious ones. But a whole bunch of other things. Who, who should be in leadership? Who should be in charge of things? All kinds of different things are being redefined. And do you know what? You've got to realise that this is problematic in both directions. What we're being pulled toward is, is frightening if you spend too much time dwelling on it. But what we're being pulled away from is not necessarily all that much better. See, we can look at where modern Australia is going or Western, Austra- Western society as a whole is going. We can look at that and kind of like freak out at that. But if we take an honest look backwards, where we're coming from is still problematic. See, Christians in the 1950s, the 1960s, whatever era you were brought up as a Christian, the 70s, the 80s, I don't want to alienate anyone here, the 90s, even the recent history, whatever era it was, whatever was easier about it, there were still things that were hard about it. And in whatever era you've lived through, the call on your life in Christ was to belong to Christ. That has never changed, and it doesn't change. We've got to be really clear about this. And we've got a big opportunity looking at this part of God's word to really grow in this. Because who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ, that is where it is at. Bottom line, that is where it is at for us. Right at the end of the letter, Paul says something. When I read it, For the first time, it was profound. When I read it again, I'm like, that sounds like every other little Christian thing I've ever heard. And I'm kind of like, it reveals in my heart how these attitudes and the way that I think about this stuff can lapse between being, seeing the power and just being plain Jane. But I want to share it with you. This is where Paul, it's kind of where I think he lands at the end of this letter. He wants at the end for these church to be on their guard standing firm in their faith, courageous, strong, and doing everything in love. For people who are in Christ, that's where we've got to be growing toward. I mean, that's a sanctified life, isn't it? On guard toward the world around you, standing firm in faith. firm in faith, with courage and strength, not mustered up in our own effort, but the one that comes to us. Courage, strength, and doing everything in love. If you just are very casual about our time in 1 Corinthians, it will all sound very nice and it will sound very much true as you've understood it. 
But if you let it, I think this letter has great potential to really push all of us, to push us in deeper dependence, standing firmly in that faith. Like I said, those verses at the end can sound very common, very much familiar to us. But they can also be quite confronting because we're confronted on so many fronts. Some people have suggested that sometimes it sounds like Corinth was just a bad place to try to have a church. Just a bad place to try to do this because like this is a city, I think it was around about on a, on a, on a conservative estimate of 50,000 people and at this stage this is the only church in that city and it's all of about 200 people. Like you're kind of just like, guys, go build a little community somewhere and get away from all this because you're never going to get anywhere in this city. I mean, that's tempting, isn't it? But the problem was not having a church in Corinth. The problem was that there was too much of, much of Corinth in the church. I can't remember where I picked that up. I didn't make that up. But that's an easy way to think about it, isn't it? Is there too much of... 21st century Australia in our church, in our lives? Or is who we are in Christ really where it is at for you and I? That's got to be our prayer. We are aiming for, and we've, I've titled this series, Lives That Are Lit Up, Lit Up By The Gospel. Now, light in darkness isn't a 1 Corinthians picture at all. It's a analogy that's used in a whole bunch of other parts of the Bible, but I actually think that it is a great analogy for us to have lives that are shaped, that are transformed, that are growing, that are lit up, consistent with the power and the grace that has been shown to us in Jesus. So hear the invitation to come to this with a deep openness, a prayer that God would reveal stuff about you, about how you relate in this body of our church and how you interact with the world that we live in. And an opportunity and to, to see the power of the gospel to save. And particularly as we refocus on our mission as a church to reach lost people, having a mission week coming up we're going to be having our community groups get together, God willing, and really thinking about how in those community groups we've got to be on mission together. And to think just how we interact with people who have such messy lives. Because there's very few people that we can go and reach who don't require a lot of, won't, won't experience a lot of transformation if they come to faith in Jesus. People's lives are messy. we just got to not worry about that because if we focus on the power of the gospel and are confident about that, well, it gives us a confidence that can defy our logic. And it helps us, I think, to have a clear picture, a much clearer picture of what it looks like for someone to come to faith in Evans Head and our area in 2021. You know, they talk about 
crusades of the past, Billy Graham and his things like that. Billy Graham had an enormous ministry, but he was calling people in Christian nations who were, had gone nominal in their faith to rediscover the, the thing that they were basically being taught most of their lives. If we're to reach out to people, we're talking to people who Jesus is at best a swear word. Any connection to, to these kind of things is, is fading and it is fading fast. It's a very different landscape. But the gospel is the power to transform. It really doesn't matter. Paul was in the Jewish synagogue where they had the Old Testament scriptures that completely pointed to Jesus and he couldn't get a hearing there. He goes next door to this guy's house and the church begins. Why is that the case? Because the gospel is powerful. So let's pray. Let's pray that there would be jaw-dropping testimonies among us, among our church, believing that God has people that he's bringing to us them find hope and love in Jesus let me lead us in prayer our loving father we ask for a deep humility that we might properly grasp the power of your gospel to save and to transform people our Lord we thank you for this letter we pray that you would give us uh, persistence and patience as we look at it. Lord, give us insight. Lord, give us the devotion we need to hear from it. Lord, give us open hearts to the transformation of your gospel. Lord, give us a commitment to growing. Lord, nurture among us a community of grace. Lord, that we might increasingly be able to share with one another, Lord, our failings and our shortcomings. And Lord, that we would build one another up, pointing one another back to the grace that has been shown to us. So Father, we pray this in humility, knowing that this bolder prayer is recognising that this is all of you. So we pray it in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.